this episode of Between the Lines, IDS Fellow Amrita Sahar interviews James Backus, Distinguished University Professor of Global Affairs and Director of the Center for Global Economic and Environmental Opportunity at the University of Central Florida. James is author of the book, Trade Links, New Rules for a New World. In the book and podcast, James argues that the World Trade Organization, WTO, can survive and continue to succeed only if the trade links among WTO members are revitalized and reimagined. He explains how to bring the WTO into the 21st century, exploring the ways it can be utilized to combat future pandemics and climate change and advance sustainable development, all while continuing to foster free trade. Well, welcome James to IDS. Um, I've had the opportunity to read your book and on reading your book, my immediate thought was, what an apt title, trade links, new rules for a new world. Because now more than ever, we need an urgent upgrade that is at the heart of your book, an upgrade to existing trade systems and the ways we engage with and implement trade policy. And that has been further demonstrated by the recent ministerial outcome at the World Trade Organization. James, could you tell us more about the book and some of these issues that have really been um, central to the ideas in your book? Well, thank you so much, and Rita, and thanks to the University of Sussex and IDS, uh, and thanks to all who are listening. Uh, my uh, latest book, Trade Links, uh, from Cambridge is really a culmination of several decades of uh, thinking and action uh, on my part relating to the multilateral trading system. Uh, when I was a judge at the WTO, of course, uh, I was there to uh, uphold the rules on which uh, the members of the WTO agreed. But since I left the WTO, I've uh, I've been uh, fairly persistent in uh, suggesting how those rules might be improved. Central to my thinking is the need to fulfill the promise that is made in the uh, very first paragraph of the preamble to the Marrakesh Agreement of 1995 that established the World Trade Organization. Uh, I was uh, one of uh, quite a a few people from around the world who took part in making that happen at the time. And if you look at that first paragraph, you'll see that the uh, countries that established the WTO uh, pledged to engage in trade and economic endeavor in accordance with the objectives of sustainable development. Now, I would suggest that for the most part, uh, trade and the trading system have uh, uh, not been impediments to sustainable development, uh, although there's much to be discussed uh, there in terms of particulars. But in my view, that's not nearly enough. In, in my view, uh, the uh, trade rules of the uh, WTO-based multilateral trading system uh, must be affirmative agents for achieving sustainable development. And this means addressing climate change, it means uh, continuing to liberalize trade to help uh, end poverty. Uh, it means uh, addressing food issues relating to hunger. 
It means addressing uh, gender equity, health, and so much more uh, that's included in uh, the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. Well, I referred to the WTO ministerial earlier, uh, that while you know some would agree that it has the outcome from this ministerial has laid a good foundation uh, for going forward, while you know others might argue that there remains much to be done and the agreement uh, is far from optimal. With reference to details of this outcome, what are your thoughts on the current issues for international trade and trade policy? Well, I'm certainly happy that uh, the recent uh, WTO ministerial conference in Geneva did not end with uh, no outcome. Instead, there were uh, several notable outcomes, but uh, I think all objective observers would agree that uh, these were modest outcomes. And, and while they do give us an opportunity to uh, build and going forward, there is much, much more that must be done. Looking at the particular uh, uh, agreements that were concluded, uh, 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 importantly, the fisheries uh, subsidies agreement is the first WTO agreement that relates entirely to sustainability. That's an important uh, uh, precedent and foundation for doing more. At the same time, it, it does uh, nothing to discipline most of the fisheries subsidies in the, in the world that are uh, uh, continuing to maximize declining fish stocks. The uh, agreement to extend the moratorium on uh, taxation, tariffs, and other restrictions on electronic commerce is certainly a good outcome. But once again, uh, this has been done temporarily. And uh, while that uh, moratorium remains temporary, uncertainty remains in world commerce. It should be made permanent. Um, there was, uh, I'm happy to say, uh, an agreement by uh, the WTO members that they will uh, not employ um, export restrictions on food in ways that undermine the humanitarian efforts of uh, the World Food Program. Uh, this is important, especially uh, right now uh, in, in this growing global food crisis but they did nothing to provide uh, additional guidelines on when uh, export food restrictions can be applied going forward. They, they did not answer some of the unanswered questions in WTO rules about, for example, when there is a, a short supply, uh, what, what a temporary measure is, uh, for example, uh, and um, I could go on, but uh, it's important to understand how many issues on which some members of the WTO have been working for a long time uh, uh, did not make it to the agenda in Geneva. We've been trying to negotiate uh, an agreement to eliminate tariffs on environmental goods uh, for 20 years now. This uh, would uh, 
spread uh, uh, and uh, speed the dissemination distribution of uh, new green technologies worldwide in ways that would assist in addressing climate change and furthering sustainable development. But somehow we cannot come to an agreement on that. It's hard for me to believe that uh, we have a world trading system that does not include rules on digital trade, and yet we do. Uh, we've had uh, about half the members of the WTO uh, working on trying to uh, conclude rules on digital trade uh, now for uh, a couple of years. And uh, while they have uh, uh, an early draft text, uh, there's no real agreement on much of anything and it could not come to the uh, table of the uh, negotiators in Geneva. Uh, so we have much to do that's already under negotiation. And yet uh, there's much more that must be done, I think, to uh, transform WTO rules to make them uh, affirmative agents for sustainable development that's not yet on the negotiating agenda. And here I will point to a positive development on which I uh, uh, fervently hope we can build. There are 73 WTO members accounting for about 84% of all global trade who are uh, engaged in what they call structured discussions on issues uh, involving the relationship between trade and environmental sustainability. Uh, the topics include uh, the environmental uh, goods agreement, uh, uh, the nexus between trade and climate change, uh, subsidies, uh, and um, also uh, the need to promote circular trade. That's very important. And it is really uh, sort of revolutionary for members of the WTO to be thinking in those terms. Yet only about 8.4% of all world trade is currently circular. Uh, we need uh, for all kinds of climate and other ecological reasons uh, to be moving uh, much more and much more quickly to a circular economy. Um, one specific task uh, these uh, members of the WTO have undertaken is to uh, uh, begin uh, uh, discussing how uh, WTO rules relating to plastics uh, might be uh, uh, reimagined uh, to uh, and uh, implemented uh, to align with the current negotiations by the United Nations on uh, a global plastics agreement, uh, which the UN hopes to conclude in 2024. Uh, much more of this kind of uh, uh, concerted collaborative action between the WTO and other international institutions is much needed if we're going to uh, uh, achieve the original purpose of the WTO in supporting uh, sustainable development. Your book also talks about international trade and freedom. Uh, international trade, of course, touches all our lives. Uh, you gave examples, specific examples from the recent um, agreement. Overfishing affects livelihoods of small-scale farmers, uh, with the recently agreed uh, fisheries subsidies waiver, there's a way forward, but it only covers some types of overfishing. Trade is also critical 
for wider access to vaccines. Yet we've seen that the agreed waiver uh, remains at best partial in many ways. It appears that often there are trade-offs or inherent trade-offs between inclusion and sustainability when it comes to trade agreements. And of course, trade negotiators have the hard task of um, working on some of those. Uh, could you tell us more about any stories of lived experiences, uh, not just um, of, you know, um, uh, probably of fishermen or SMEs, but also of negotiators, which helped you uh, inform the book? So any, any stories that were really important in uh, how your book took shape? Well, on a personal level, uh, uh, I, I tend to uh, compete with my own uh, uh, CV in terms of uh, what I've done in world trade uh, when I talk about uh, sustainable development. But the truth is uh, I've been involved in working uh, for sustainable development uh, uh, for longer than I've uh, been engaged in working for world trade. Uh, you know, since I was in my 20s, uh, in the aftermath of the Stockholm Convention, I, I've been working for sustainable development, first in my home state of Florida, and, and then in the Congress. And at the same time, when I was uh, uh, one of the six original co-sponsors in the House of Representatives uh, in the United States uh, of the implementing legislation for uh, the Uruguay Round Trade Agreements that established the WTO, I was also uh, working uh, uh, in the run-up and in the aftermath to the uh, 1992 Rio Earth Summit. So I was also involved uh, in uh, the formation of uh, the Rio Declaration uh, and uh, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, uh, along with a few other agreements, and along with thousands of other people worldwide. I was uh, merely one participant, but I've always thought uh, of trade in terms of sustainable development. And I've also always thought of sustainable development in terms of trade. It's in the nature of uh, trade, whether it's uh, uh, domestic or uh, international, uh, that there are going to be people who profit from trade and that uh, uh, there will be others who, because they are, are not uh, uh, able relatively to compete uh, with uh, uh, new competitors uh, are, are going to uh, be uh, adversely affected by trade. Uh, it's also in the nature of the trade that the beneficiaries uh, are usually uh, a great many people uh, who benefit in a limited way without even knowing that they're benefiting from trade such as through uh, lower prices for the inputs into the products they and their companies make or uh, lower prices uh, that uh, improve their standard of living and help them uh, be able uh, to prosper and support the families. And, but uh, there are also those who uh, are, uh, as I said, adversely affected by trade. There are many fewer but they feel the pain uh, uh, more uh, intensively. Also, uh, they tend to blame trade uh, very often when it's not trade, but uh, 
really uh, a technology, including especially automation, uh, that is uh, the source of their uh, loss of the ability to compete and thus uh, continue uh, uh, to be in the workforce without gaining uh, uh, more skills. It's, it's a lot easier to blame a foreigner than it is to blame a robot. Uh, if your job's at risk, and, and that generally is what happens. Uh, I am very uh, uh, much committed to trying to make uh, trade more inclusive. Um, at the international level, in the WTO, for example, there are some ongoing efforts uh, to uh, promote gender equity, which is, of course, goal five uh, of the SDGs. Uh, and the effort there is uh, to transform a situation in which, you know, a paltry few uh, uh, women are engaged in the highest levels uh, of uh, uh, corporate endeavor in, in trade into a situation in which many, many more women are able to benefit from participating uh, in international trade, including uh, uh, those who uh, participate in and, and very often own their own small businesses and, and hope to uh, piggyback on the supply chains of the world. It makes no sense to try to uh, enhance overall uh, global prosperity uh, and human flourishing, which is of course the overriding goal of sustainable development, if we don't make it possible for half the people in the world to uh, uh, have an equal opportunity to succeed. Uh, I've talked also in the book, as you know, about the need to do more uh, to bring uh, indigenous peoples worldwide more fully into the global economy while enabling them to uh, uh, be able to preserve and protect uh, a lot of their uh, historic and traditional uh, social and economic practices, uh, which are often uh, much more sustainable than those of the rest of the world. So we need to link them up to trade while also learning from them about how we can engage in trade and other economic endeavor in, in ways that are more consistent uh, with environmental sustainability. Uh, at the domestic level though is where I think most of the uh, actions on inclusiveness must occur. Uh, as I wrote in my very first book entitled Trade, and freedom, uh, the connection between trade and freedom is this. Um, uh, freedom is, uh, as Karl Popper told us, the ability to make the most personal choices about how you choose to live. Uh, this is how he defines freedom, and I think it's a, a good definition. Um, trade creates the opportunity for more personal choices about how we wish to live uh, by increasing overall economic gains and opportunities uh, for prosperity and human flourishing. But trade does not guarantee that this kind of freedom will result. It only makes it possible. Of course, without trade, there's less of a possibility for these choices and, uh, and personal autonomy and personal uh, uh, dignity and the ability to flourish as an individual are diminished. Uh, but
but for uh, trade to create more freedom, it must be accompanied by domestic actions that uh, truly make these choices available to more people by helping them share in the economic gains from trade. And there is where we have failed uh, in uh, uh, pretty much all of the world uh, during uh, the past 30 years. Uh, in my own country, in the United States, the economic gains from trade in the past generation have uh, gone uh, disproportionately to the very highest people on the upper uh, rungs of the economic ladder. This is not right. Uh, one way to uh, change this is by uh, uh, distributive action through uh, higher marginal tax rates, which I support, but our Congress is unfortunately not currently working on doing that. Uh, other ways are to help give people uh, who do not have the skills to compete in a globalized economy more of the skills to do so. Uh, this involves a much greater commitment to education in and, and, and both thinking uh, and doing uh, it involves uh, a greater commitment to training and retraining. It involves uh, helping distressed communities. And a lot of this has not been done in the United States, nor has it been done elsewhere. I think uh, in the UK, uh, this is a real problem in the north of the country and has been for some time. Uh, and uh, in other parts of the world, it's really no different. Uh, uh, in the last statistics I read, the uh, extent of inequality in China is greater than that in the United States. And it's getting worse now because of uh, uh, the ways in which China is facing COVID and, and also slowing in its economic growth. Uh, so much more must be done domestically uh, to be more inclusive. Uh, this does not mean that international institutions are excused from action. Uh, as I've said repeatedly, uh, and as uh, Mary Robinson, a woman I greatly admire and, and a friend of mine said just the other day to the G7, we really have to keep the promises uh, in the West that we've made to the rest of the world in terms of climate finance and other financial assistance, both public and private, uh, to make the transition to a deglobalized world. It's not simply enough to lecture developing countries of how, how they need to make this transition. And we have an obligation uh, uh, to uh, help them make it. And the, the promises we've made are insufficient and we uh, have not come close to uh, keeping the financial promises even that we've made. This must change. You are listening to the Between the Lines podcast from the Institute of Development Studies. So I'm sure that listeners are curious to know if we are going to hear more from you. Is there anything that you could not cover in your book? And if we should expect another one in the pipeline, and what, it be, what would it be focused on? Well, I, I made trade links um, 100 pages shorter than my previous book, The Willing World. Uh, which, by the way, has just come out in paperback. They're really companion books. In Trade Links, I go into much more specific detail on my specific uh, suggestions for how to change uh, the trade rules. 
what I have not uh, discussed uh, at any length in uh, any of my books thus far is the role of democracy in making all this happen. Uh, I, I am uh, much involved in uh, trying to accomplish locally, regionally, uh, uh, and worldwide. Uh, a lot of what in the willing world I suggested we had to do to make sustainable development a reality, and that is engage in a lot of new and innovative forms of uh, bottom-up collaboration. And uh, in my view, um, there are all over the world uh, many types of innovative public-private partnerships or very often just private groups of volunteers of all kinds working for uh, the achievement of the SDGs. And in doing so, they are creating new forms of participatory democracy. And it's this type of uh, participatory a democratic commitment to sustainable development that I think offers the most promise uh, for trying uh, for preserving and advancing uh, democracy globally. Uh, it's ironic that this is occurring at the same time uh, that uh, there is such a retreat from uh, uh, liberal democracy into illiberal forms of authoritarianism in many parts of the world. Uh, but it's happening and um, I am an optimist. Uh, I believe we do have a duty of optimism as, as Popper said. And, and uh, when I see all that's happening at the grassroots of the world to try to uh, do more to uh, uh, end poverty, end hunger, uh, help women have uh, uh, fair treatment, uh, uh, create all different uh, new ways of dealing with energy and consumption, uh, helping uh, uh, improve uh, uh, habitat and uh, preserve the land and uh, preserve the water and restore all these things from uh, uh, damage, uh, uh, protecting endangered species uh, and so much more. And then I see reason for optimism. At, at uh, this time, I would say that the notion of uh, democratic global governance is uh, pretty much an oxymoron. There's really very little actual democratic global governance. And this to me raises questions of legitimacy uh, and, and accountability uh, and transparency that have to be addressed. And I think the best way to uh, address uh, this deficit uh, democratically in global governance uh, will be uh, by uh, uh, building up uh, from the bottom up through new forms of democratic participation uh, that can work locally and regionally and begin also, I think, to work internationally and uh, inspire some uh, really fundamental innovations in our international institutions. And that is the topic of the book that I've been researching and plan to start writing next week. Brilliant. Um, on that optimistic note, um, I think we have one final question, which is, you know, what is the way ahead? 
you mentioned ongoing negotiations. We saw the recent ministerial outcome. Uh, we also discussed you know, that there are some that have direct or indirect benefits. For some, there are spillovers from engaging with or participating in international trade. And I think your book really delves into some of these critical issues, which affects lives, livelihoods, and the freedom of choice. So how can these ideas on inclusion and sustainability be systematically fostered and implemented to shape development thinking for more inclusive and sustainable outcomes for trade? In terms of the um, practical process going forward, and limited here to the world trading system, which is only one part of how we have to go forward. Uh, I, I believe we need to abandon the narrow uh, interpretation of multilateralism that uh, the trading system has adopted um, because uh, that's not consistent with the WTO treaty and it's not consistent with what many of us who uh, found the WTO had in mind when we did so. Uh, one option in the treaty for concluding new rules is to do so uh, multilaterally uh, uh, through a process in which nothing is agreed until all is agreed by everyone. Basically what this does is it gives any one of the 164 members of the WTO, uh, the ability to veto any progress, any uh, movement forward to address new issues, to revise existing rules, to write new rules. And indeed uh, in um, Geneva, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, India came close to threatening to veto everything. And, uh, never really did so, but that was, uh, uh, that was uh, a looming uh, tacit threat that uh, uh, fortunately uh, uh, was uh, not uh, allowed to come uh, uh, true. And uh, instead the members did find a consensus, but um, one of the reasons why they accomplished as little as they did in some of these agreements is uh, because had they uh, tried to accomplish more, there would have been a veto. Well, this is not <clears throat> how I see trade multilateralism. Instead, I look at the treaty and I see that there are other options for moving forward. Um, one is as simple as a legal interpretation by the members of the WTO of an existing rule. For example, uh, as I suggest in the book, uh, uh, the members could agree on a legal interpretation that um, uh, a uh, carbon tax is uh, an indirect tax on a product that's eligible for a border uh, tax adjustment under Article 2 of the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade. Uh, that would help encourage uh, the passage of more carbon taxes worldwide and, uh, and move us toward more carbon pricing, which I think is the key to addressing climate change. But also there are other ways to negotiate. Uh, there uh, 
can be uh, agreements within the legal framework of the WTO. Indeed, there are in which some, but not all of the WTO members have agreed. Uh, we have one on uh, information technology. We have one on government purchases. Um, but the obstacle to moving forward there is with agreements that might provide benefits to some uh, WTO members who uh, uh, are parties to those agreements, but not to those that are not. And, and, and therefore these kinds of agreements can be vetoed under the current rules by just one WTO uh, member. This pushes WTO members to try to go forward outside the legal framework of the WTO through a proliferation of all kinds of regional trade agreements and other economic arrangements. Uh, and um, this is less than global, so it's considerably less than what we need. And it's not really even in the interest of the countries that uh, make these vetoes or threaten them, because what happens is new rules are created outside the WTO. Uh, they didn't pay a part in writing those new rules, and yet ultimately they're likely to be bound by them in the day-to-day -day, uh, workings of world commerce. And so we need to move forward on a lot of these issues and a lot of these proposals that I've made in my book um, through uh, efforts by uh, willing WTO members uh, uh, to uh, conclude new rules and uh, engage on new issues uh, who may not comprise all of the WTO membership. And then later on, other members can join um, once they see the benefits of these arrangements. In fact, looking back uh, to uh, the very beginning of my own career in trade, uh, uh, in the immediate aftermath of uh, the Tokyo round, uh, I was involved in trying to encourage uh, countries to sign a lot of the GATT uh, codes that were adopted on a plurilateral basis, some but not all of the members of the GATT. And many of those agreements uh, ultimately became fully multilateral agreements and part of the WTO treaty, the subsidies agreement, the anti-dumping agreement, the agreement on technical barriers to trade. These were all plurilateral agreements before they became multilateral. And um, in imagining the WTO at the outset, uh, this is what I thought we would have been doing for the past quarter of a century. And it's certainly what I think we should be doing now. Thank you, uh, James. We're really glad to hear that there's reason for optimism. There's an optimistic way forward uh, that you've outlined for us. New rules that can work towards more inclusion and sustainable outcomes for international trade and trade policy. Thank you so much for your time and we look forward to seeing you again. Thank you so much, Amrita, and thank you all. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and share to help us spread the word. Do you have a great book we could feature in a future episode? Then get in touch on email at between the lines at ids.ac.uk.